Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning, Missio Day. We are coming close to the end of our series in James, and today we're going to be in James chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there uh, or flip there on your phone. Um, before we get started, let me just say one more prayer over us. Uh, God, we pray that, that we would take this time to discern your word, uh, that we would listen to it, that it would sit in us and shape who we are. It would shape the stories we believe, and it would shape the scripts of who we are becoming. Uh, I pray that, we would, uh, that my words would fall to the ground and your word would, would last forever. So God, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have been taking a break from social media for the most part over the last month, mostly so that I can have a growing awareness of how it shapes me and what it does to my own heart. And I've been growing aware of this, that there's scripts that happen in the world that shape me. You know, normally I would wake up, uh, grab my phone and get on Instagram and start scrolling right away. And, um, you know, or I have good intentions to wake up and pursue the day, pursue God, and, and be the best person I can be into the world. But sometimes this force of this phone grabs me, and I begin scrolling. And I see now that uh, everybody's getting their last minute traveling in, right? And I'm seeing someone traveling, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what it's like to go there, right? I wonder how much it costs to go there. Uh, and then I scroll to the next picture, and it's a plate of amazing food. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should eat that food. Right. And then I go and I've been researching uh, exercise equipment with COVID and all being in lockdown with the pandemic. And I bought a rowing machine. And so now all these ads of exercise equipment is just bombarding my feed. And I look at these other different exercise equipments and I click on them and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should have those abs. Those look like nice abs. Right. And the thing is, is there's this way of of looking at this, wondering, is this the good life? Are these versions of life the life that I should be pursuing? Is it the version I should be living? And the thing is that I realize is we all live by scripts. Uh, and there's a dominant script in the world. And we don't have to work hard to get swept into the dominant script. Uh, and then there's alternative scripts. And they're alternative because it takes a lot more intentionality to live into that script. It takes a lot more work to sink our lives. It takes much more imagination to live an alternative story in our world with the dominant script around us. This is the dominant script of America, essentially. That, as a child, you should make good grades so that you can go to the best school, so that you can get a great job, so that you can have a great life of badges in our society and acquire the symbols and badges of status. And those badges usually are a spouse, a house or apartment if you're in Chicago, interesting hobbies, travel, attractive children, et cetera, et cetera. That is in essence the dominant script. And we get swept into this script and it gets a lot of our energy right now. And even if you would say in your heart of hearts, I don't want that script and I don't believe in that script, that that script gives me true meaning and value and beauty and purpose you still uh, get swept into that. We devote our hearts and lives and we serve that narrative. And 
In essence, we become enslaved into that cycle of thinking. James is going to give us a big warning, probably the harshest warning he has yet. And he's warning us, though slightly different tangibles of the script, it's the same script. And that script is basically one of self-indulgence, right? Uh, Self-indulgence is with our resources and acquiring wealth or hoarding wealth. Now, James is gonna come hard down on rich people. Is he just against rich people? Does he just have an ax towards people who have wealth? No, James is not anti-money, he's pro-people. These people were using their wealth at the expense of others. It was hurting others and it was at the expense of relationship to pursue and acquire these badges and status symbols. So James has to shake us and give us a good warning. So I wanna say that, that because we in our culture, I think have lost the art of a loving father or a loving parent like James giving us a loving warning. We've lost the art of confrontation because we wanna surround ourselves with a community that celebrates our choices instead of pursues to help sharpen our choices. So listen to what uh, 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 Mark Scandretti says about the dominant script. He says this quote, we live in one of the wealthiest economies on earth, yet many of us feel crunched for our time, stressed in our finances or perplexed about what makes life meaningful. Our culture is driven by a sense of scarcity and fear and unquenchable quest for more. If we don't make conscious choices to resist these impulses, the force of a materialistic and consumeristic society will make most of our decisions for us. The scripts we've inherited about material possessions are wearing us out, robbing our joy and destroying the planet. And James is going to say something similar. And I wanna tell you just right now that his warning is not to harm us, but it is to set us free from this script. It is to set us free from this dominant script of more and self-indulgence at the expense of others. So let's read it. I wanna give you that preface. Uh, before you hear it, because if this is your first time to church online, then you probably are going to be like, wow, that's interesting. Um, So let's read this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. All right. Next series at Monsieur Day we're going to do is on kittens and ponies. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you see that we've been, James has been giving us a lot of warnings. He's warned us to, to persevere in the midst of trials. He's warned us to not just be hearers of the word, merely hearers, but doers of the word. He's warned us to not play favoritism with our relationships and, and, and to ignore the poor. He's, he's, he's warning us, hey, the way you use your words, they can be used to build up or they can be used to tear down. And now he's giving us one of the greatest warnings of all, that a pursuit of more, and acquiring of more luxury at the expense of others is a grief in the kingdom of God. And so this warning he's telling us is, 
He's warning those living in the land of plenty, and later he's going to encourage those living in the land of, of poverty. But he's saying, hey, you've got gold that's going to corrode. You've got your clothes in your closet are going to be eaten away. And James is saying, pay attention to what is the luxury in your life. Some of you are like, Brian, this sermon doesn't apply to me because I don't have money to, 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 to acquire, right? Like, like, I'm trying to get some of that. I don't have it to, to hoard. And, um, but, but you don't have to have it to have this mentality and this script be the dominant script of your life. Essentially, James is saying, don't trust your own sense about life. Don't believe that you are in control and that you trust in your wealth. Don't believe this basic idea that apart from God, I can get what I need. James says this, listen, your lust for more is numbing you to the needs of other people. And James is going to come at us with all these different words. He's saying the, the judgment is near. He's going to tell us that your, your, your riches are going to waste away and corrode. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, uh, I had a girlfriend, my first girlfriend. And it was her birthday, and so I went to the mall to buy her a ring. And I saved up for weeks and weeks, and I bought this ring. I think it was probably like $10. And I gave her this ring, um, and for, after a few weeks, it turned her finger green that it wasn't real gold, it wasn't real silver. What James is saying is that you do have real gold and you know that it won't corrode. You think it won't corrode, but it will. And the same way you think your wealth won't let you down, it will. James is saying, don't put your trust in this script. And so there's a few lies that I wanna talk about that the dominant script tells us uh, this, that the luxury at the cost of generosity is a tragic waste and cause of grief in the kingdom. And so I've sat under this passage and it's been hard to hear. I know this is a hard passage to hear, but I want to just expose some of these lies for us this morning of this dominant script about wealth accumulating at the expense of others. Number one is the lies we believe about money. We all grown up with different scripts about money, but one of those lies is we think it'll make us secure uh, we think that this gold and silver will not let us down, that we'll be financially secure. Steve Jobs said this, that if I could have lived life differently, I would have done it a whole new way. He says, I thought if I had money, nothing could affect me. I would have put my trust in something other than money. And so it's okay to have money. James is not anti-money. He's, he's pro-people. And he's saying that this money cannot make you secure. Money can't protect us from loss. It can't protect us from cancer. It can't protect us from a pandemic and the dangers of the world. Only God can protect us. The second lie that, that money, uh, the, the, the trust, putting trust in money, having a spirit of, of money ruling us and reigning us, this lie that we think money will make us significant. But James tells us the, the status symbols of clothing are going to be lost, that you're going to have holes in them, um, that are going to be exposed and left malfunctioned. Uh, and so we get acquire things and awesome stuff and think that this will make us feel significant. But we know that it, it's not true. It's an illusion. And then thirdly, we think money makes us happy. We think we confuse pleasure and true happiness, but research shows us how weird our forecasts are. Research shows that every single person just believes, if I could only make 10,000 more, then I'll be happy. You know, and then once you go to the next level of income and you interview those people and they say, well, if I could just have 25,000 more, 
then I'll be happy. And so we believe the lie that money makes us happy. And the summary of all these three scripts, that you're secure, you're significant, and you're happy, is this, that take whatever the thing is plus more. That accumulation and more will do the thing that, that will be the good life for me. And so what does this script produce? I don't know about you, but uh, what does it produce on the inside? For me, it, it churns the in, my insides raw. It, it wears me out. And the fruit of these scripts is always anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry. And when we get stuck in our financial gridlock, we need like a new imagination for how to live and see our finances. Uh, 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 Edmund Friedman uh, wrote this in A Failure to Nerve that when we are stuck, it's like this sense of anxiety and the way to get unstuck, you can't think your way to being unstuck. You must encounter, you must have adventure or play, but there's an encounter that must happen. And James wants us to encounter the living generous God who is our helper in time of need and that he wants us to get unstuck in this script. So if you want a better story, you need a better script. And James said earlier in James 1 that the, the hum, the, those in humble circumstances should take pride in their position, but those who are rich and wealthy should take pride in basically their humiliation. What he's saying is, is those who are poor, take great pride that God's blessed you with what you have. He says, but if you are rich, take great pride in what you don't have, that, that you can see where you are with the least of these in certain ways, that you have a poverty of spirit and that you are one in, with their humanity. And scripture says there's another pursuit rather than more, and that pursuit is enough. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said there's two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more, and the other is to desire less. And this pursuit of riches, the script of riches, if you think about what's the arc, what's the script telling us, right? It's answering basic life questions, this script of riches and luxury at the expense of others. It says, what's the purpose of life? The purpose is pleasure. And what's the problem? The problem is lack. The solution is more and the result is luxury. But what's the script of enough? The script of enough, of script of God says the purpose for life is to be life with God. That's the purpose of life, is to be one with God, commune with God. The problem is our own rebellion, our own self indulgence and lust for more. And the solution is Jesus, that he has come to rescue us from this script. And the result is a generous life, blessed to be a blessing for the renewal of all things. So what's the secret of contentment? What's the secret of enough? Uh, it's something God has said in a promise in Hebrews 13. Since James doesn't give us a lot of good news in this little pericope of passage, I want to go to the author of Hebrews. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money right? And be content with what you have. So why? What's the promise? How are we going to do that? How are we going to keep our lives free from the love of money? He says, here's why. Because God said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So now the author of Hebrews is saying, Never will God leave you or forsake you. That the secret of enough is not that we get our attachments to money, but that God is attached to you. 
That's the secret of enough, that you are already attached to God, that you don't have to get your attachments from money. That's the secret of this contentment, that God says, I am the sufficient mighty one. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and end, the creator of all things. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. I've made it all and I've given all to you and I've blessed you and I hold all things together and I ain't going nowhere. That's the, the Hebrew, uh, that's the Greek in Hebrews is literally, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and, and he's saying, I'm never going to leave you. God's so attached to you that you don't need any other attachments. That will set you free from the tyranny of this dominant script. Listen to Psalm 145, 13 through 17. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their proper food at the proper time. You open, you open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So in summary, what kind of world do we live in? A world of scarcity or abundance? We live in a world of abundance. What kind of God do we have? Psalms 145 says, one eager to provide. And so therefore, because of this abundance, who are we? We're just recipients. We're recipients of this abundance. And then we all want to take this reciprocal nature of the triune God that gives himself and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then gives to us. And then we want to bring and create something in the world because we build what we love. We invest in what we love. And so we all want to bring something and build something into this world and contribute, not like what these people that James is confronting, but like the people that he says that we are to be like Jesus who, who gave his life, that whosoever would believe in him, that he gave everything, that Jesus talks about money and possessions more than anything else. You know, the word gave is mentioned a lot in scripture, to give. Words like prayer and faith, they're mentioned some couple of hundred times, but the word give is mentioned thousands of times. That God is a generous God above all, that he, there's enough to go around. That's the worldview of abundance that James is telling us to have. My son Jude uh, is really into Legos right now, and he will get Lego uh, sets that, are a little bit above his age. And he'll put them together and he'll do them for the most part, but there'll be one or two moments where he gets a little stuck, where he gets a little anxious. He gets a little frustrated and he vents his frustration and just gets really upset and needs help. And I help him out. Um, and you know, those times are, are, are fun and there's an end product, and, but they're also trying times also. But then he'll uh, make his own sets. He'll take all the sets from the past and he'll get creative and, and just make things at ease. And while watching him play, I kind of had my own conversion moment for a bit. That in my life, I feel like I like to do things that I know that I can do, things that I know that I can control, right? And church is not one of those things as a pastor that I can control. It's not something that I can determine the outcome, right? There's no mathematical equation that says, do this and this, and you'll have a healthy church. You'll have a growing church. And especially with COVID, there's this sense of surrender, but I, the sense of surrender and acknowledgement and, and came out through this conversion of watching Jude play. I noticed that Jude would make his own sets for hours and he would make something beautiful and he would just 
tear it back down, and then make something amazing again. And at first I thought, like, you know, when he was frustrated, you know, and, and with the set that he was trying to make, that was like dedication, right? That was him growing and working through things. But then I saw, you know what? Jude is making things and tearing them down. And I sometimes would be like, oh, don't tear that down. You just made something amazing. But Jude lives in a worldview of abundance. He knows that there's no anxiety about building. There's no fear of losing something that he can just keep creating and toss it like paper origami. That he can continue to make and build because there's an abundance of things to build. There's an abundance to go around. And by watching Jude, I love this, that like what's getting in the way of me of living like that, it's my view of scarcity, that there's not enough. That there's not enough to continue to create. There's not enough to build, that, that I have to preserve what I've built. But Jude just keeps building and tossing and building, knowing his creativity is not going to run dry. So how do I get into this abundant view? It's trust. It's trust. And what's the outcome? It's creativity and freedom for all. It is a good life that can be creative now and how I use my resources to bless others. And what, what do we do to like, what's the blind spots in this? It's the misnaming of things. Just as I misnamed Jude's anxiety and frustration as growth and determination, we misnamed some of our things we do with money. You know, you could be misnaming your anxiety as financial stewardship. Anxiety about the future is I'm just being a wise steward, right? You could be misnaming overworking as I'm responsible. You could misname uh, your overspending as I just have passion for life. I have passion for these things. So what do we do? How do we change? How do we live into this abundant worldview? Um, I heard a story recently of Warren Buffett, and I heard the story that he shares of uh, being a 10-year-old boy in New York City with his dad, and his dad was going out to a lunch business meeting, and his dad took him along. This was a big, big thing that he got to go to this very elite lunch, fancy lunch. And so as they were at this lunch, a person was coming to the table at, with tobacco leaves open. And the server uh, rolled the tobacco leaf nicely, handed it to the man at the lit, lit it and handed it to the man at the table. And Warren Buffett said, it was in that moment I knew I wanted this lifestyle. It was then that I knew I wanted to be wealthy. 10 years old, this formative encounter for Buffett. This, this formative encounter that told him, this is the trajectory of my life. Have you ever investigated, as we close, how do we change? How do we live into this alternative script? Investigate your formative encounters. Investigate your upbringing. Like, did you have an encounter of abundance or did you have an encounter of scarcity? Uh, have you examined the scripts you believe about money? About the, the scripts from your parents, the scripts from your family of origin, who are the key influencers who've shaped your financial imagination? That would be some good work for you to do. Second, let's name our anxieties about money. Let's name where we're stuck about money. Let's name those things out loud. And then third, let's turn that statement of worry into a statement of trust. So if you have a, a statement of worry about uh, your job, right? 
Turn that into a statement of trust. God, I trust that you will give me the work and the income I need. If you're worried about having enough security at an old age, turn that into a statement of trust. I trust you are the provider of all we need and you hold the future. Lastly, know that what we do with our possessions, our material possessions, is the most important test case of one's profession of discipleship. That we need counterformations, that we give until it feels good, that we give away to others in need, and we prioritize relationships so that we're not anti-money, but we're pro-people, just like James. So that we can say, every time I give, I am declaring my money does not control me. My perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money and so that we can worship him and love him and love people with the resources God has given us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, we, we come to you. We, we come to you to just acknowledge the scripts that have shaped our hearts around money, the scripts and beliefs, the false lies around money that we've believed. We come and we acknowledge them. We, we press into them so that we can name our anxiety and completely trust you who is the provider of all, who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. I'm attached to you. And that attachment is enough. May you be enough, Jesus. Jesus, may you rescue our souls from the rat race of trying to prove ourselves, gain significance and status and security through other scripts. May we see your story is the ultimate story of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.